Welcome to A Slice of SEL, a podcast for educators about social-emotional learning. Welcome to A Slice of SEL. We're the SEL services team at the St. Croix River Education District. I'm Nick. I'm Rye. And I'm Courtney. This week we are excited to be talking about class meetings. So basically when it's a good idea to have them, how to run them successfully, and why they're helpful to you and your students. And I'm especially excited to be covering this topic uh, because when I was working as the special ed teacher in Cambridge Isani at the high school, I pretty regularly had class meetings and it's something that I found super valuable. Uh, We did an episode a few weeks ago where we talked about a teacher's list of 25 ways that she tries to embed SEL throughout the student's day. And this is just one that I was really excited to do a deep dive into. So I'm glad we're going to spend more time on it this week. But before that, we are going to talk about what's filling our buckets. Nick, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm going to go first. So we're getting into that reflective warm springtime of the year. And I was just thinking, I'm just so profoundly impressed by and really grateful for all the teachers and principals and teacher appreciation week and principal appreciation day are coming up so coincidence but um the teachers and principals i've been working with this year because this school year has been insane uh and trying to do any new things was a really big ask this year and it was next to impossible for educators to just take care of themselves but given all of that so many people i worked with this year still somehow leapt at the opportunity to learn new things and help, you know, to help support their students with social emotional learning. And it just amazes me when I like think about all that they've done. And we're heading into this next fall with nearly all of our schools already using SEL curriculums at tier one or with some plans to start next fall. And all of that is only possible because of all the insane, amazing work that teachers and principals and other educators did this year in the middle of a global pandemic. So I'm just humbled and just blown away. And it's completely filling my bucket. I love that. It's such a great time of year to just think about all the good things. Um, I'm also feeling that too, Nick. Um, but mostly I'm going to steal Rise typical one. The weather right now is just amazing. Um, I was outside most of the day yesterday. I got a little bit of a sunburn on my shoulders from my long walk and it just was awesome. So I am being filled up by the weather. Can relate to that. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> Along with the weather, that's also filling my bucket. Uh, I'm just going to give a shout out to my podcasting team here. I have told them how much I'm procrastinating on some final projects this week for my semester. And I just keep getting lots of lots of encouragement. And sadly, the procrastination is still (laughs) here. And I have a couple difficult nights ahead of me. But I am just so thankful for the extra push this week, whether I've listened to it or not, you guys. <laughs> well, we're happy to give it, but I, I thought you were going to talk about your new kitten. Oh, I mean, the one I just kicked out because it was <laughs> too noisy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but your new kitten will keep you company when you're having those late nights to finish your projects. Mm, oh, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to shift to our main topic this week, which is class meetings. And I'm a novice about this, and that's why we're so grateful that Cord is here to share about her experiences with it. But just before we get into that, we wanted to I wanted to share a bit about like my initial questions when we were thinking about doing this episode. My main one was like, what is a class meeting? And what I mean by that is like, 
How does it differ from the rest of the school day when we're also sitting together in a room and talking to each other? Like what sets it apart makes it a class meeting? And like, how would I walk into a classroom and recognize that a class meeting is happening? So Cord is going to answer some of those questions today, but we wanted to get it out there that you can call class meetings for a variety of different reasons. So some teachers would hold a class meeting when they're setting up their rules at the start of the school year. Some teachers would hold a class meeting to plan a party or an event. And by plan, I mean like, you know, we're going on a field trip. How are we going to make sure that we all stay together? How are we going to set a good example in the community? Some teachers might hold a class meeting after a field trip to reflect on how it went and to problem solve any issues. And problem solving is a key phrase there because I think that's probably the most frequent idea I saw when I was researching this episode for why people are holding class meetings to problem solve. <laughs> and it got me thinking about family meetings, which got me thinking about Chris Farley's character <laughs> when he's like, I'm Matt Foley. I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> Those sketches on SNL. I I think the first sketch of those starts with they're having a family meeting because uh, David Spade's character, they, they found a marijuana cigarette in his room. So they're having a family meeting to address that issue. So same idea. Often these class meetings are called because there's an issue and the teacher wants to have the group's input and help truly solve the problem. So just like you'd you know, gather the family and have a family meeting in the living room sitting on the couch, teacher is calling a, fam uh, a class meeting to address an issue about the workings of the class. So Courtney, I think that leads me into our first question for you, which is like, why do you think a teacher would want to frame things that way versus maybe making a call and solving a problem on their own? Well, I think that first of all, you get definitely more buy-in from students when you involve them in the process. And there's just a lot of voices in our classrooms. And if you just make a call, not, you don't have the opportunity to hear what everybody has to say. Um, I, it also teaches accountability, personal responsibility, and students just aren't accountable to the teacher as the authority figure. They also know that their behavior impacts the rest of the group and that the rest of the group will also hold them accountable. And I think that can be really helpful and powerful. And then when problems come up with peers, like between peers, so a few students might be irritated by something another one's doing, you could tell them that we're putting on a class meeting agenda and that we're going to try to problem solve it after there's been some time to cool down and then we just have to make sure we're following up on those things. So you know you've got that kind of that ritual that they know what it means and they know what it's going to feel like so you can kind of like push it off to there versus mm -hmm. trying to like handle it in the moment when tempers are high. Absolutely. Yeah. So when did you first hear of class meetings and what was your first experience like? Well, I don't know like exactly what it looked like or how it went, but um, my mentor teacher um, at Cambridge Sandy was absolutely amazing. I mean, she's still amazing. She's still working and she's just the greatest. But she would do little chats at the start of all of her classes to just talk about the night before. And she often used those times to like integrate some sort of lesson. One thing that she told me that she would do would she would be like make up something that happened the night before if nothing happened because she would know that something a kid she was working with was going through like this big thing and she would try to work it into her own life and then bring it up to the class as her problem and not the student's problem. And that way, like the rest of the class could kind of hear like, oh, these things happen like to adults too. And they could talk through kind of what that looked like. Um, so I thought that was awesome. And so I started really implementing them like right away at the start of the school year, doing that like start of the school year routine and um, talking about like what my class was going to look like um, because I just really wanted my room to be super predictable and I wanted the class to have input on how that was going to look. 
the first time um, that I had one outside of that particular like start of the year structure was after the first homecoming <laughs> pet fest met that first year. I was just like shocked at some of the poor behavior of some of the students. Um, so we had a meeting in my little advisory class that was towards the end of the day and um, the kids I case managed were with me and we talked, I talked about what I thought that looked like and then got some input about why that type of behavior was just not okay. Um, the kids were super receptive to it and a bunch of them brought up how they thought it was really disrespectful to the kids who helped plan the homecoming and the kids who were up there like participating in the games and stuff. And I, I just thought it was awesome and the kids were really great about it. Was this your first year as a teacher? Yep. Okay, cool. And so it sounds like you you did it at near the beginning of the year to kind of like talk with the class and have a meeting about like structures, where we mm-hmm. want to go, like what our expectations are yep. for each other. Yep. Yeah. And it, like just and those simple classroom routines too. And I know we've talked about that a bunch on the podcast here, like like where do we what do we do when you need to sharpen a pencil like what's our what's our procedure when our we're done with our worksheet like where do things go where do I get my materials how does that look to set up our classroom just those types of things so like that proactive piece and mm-hmm. then the first time you did it like reactively to like problem solve and address something was after that pep fest yep. right yeah I, I really like your mentor teacher's example where she kind of took an issue that a student was having and then kind of framed it as something mm-hmm. that was her own problem because I think I just love that. It it just puts a little bit of distance and makes the problem a little bit more external yep. to me. And it's easier for probably students to be willing to engage with that and be honest and, and open with their ideas versus like if the problem was so close to home and direct as it's like a problem we're having with another student or a problem we're having like right here in class. Yep, absolutely. I was just thinking that'd be like an easier way probably to start for some teachers who might be reluctant to jump into that deeper waters of like, hey, we had an issue yesterday. We need to problem solve that issue. Yep. So like sometimes kids would like be fighting with each other. And instead of calling that out specifically, she would say like, oh, I just had this really rough experience with another person that works here this morning. And I said something and they responded in this way that I didn't like agree with or whatever. And then just kind of talk about what that would look like. So using herself and a staff member as an example. And I just, she's, she's brilliant. <laughs> that is br- I just love that for so many mm-hmm. reasons. Cause it's also like, like I said, it's an easier way to start for the kids and it gets them used to the way you would have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you needed to be more direct later, like if you had a really bad experience the day after a sub teacher was there, like, they're used to that format and that structure of how you have those meetings. So then it would be easier to do that. Absolutely. Um, so with that, like, what are some other examples of like when you, when you court had class meetings or when somebody could have class meetings? So I really got after them when I would have subs, like you just mentioned, like that was the main time when we did it. And I ended up being, having to take quite a few days off because I was the homecoming advisor after my first year and I did student council. And so there would be days where I was in the building, but not like present. And so I just got so sick of coming into my classroom to just like chaos and disarray. (laughs) So I made sure to have them basically every time after there was a sub, I'd go, well, you know, we're going to have a meeting. And it, I mean, by the end of it, it was really cool because the kids would be like, well, we were really good. We don't have to have a meeting. And I'd be like, no, it's great to talk about the good things too, you know, <laughs> but it was, it was pretty cute. Um, but like I already mentioned, we also did them after like some assemblies. Um, I know like there's like a couple of kiddos that were really wonderful and they would like sing the national anthem and stuff. And sometimes there was just people who weren't being super respectful. So we talked about what that looked like. 
And then I also just kind of had them every now and then when I could sense just like negativity, like the room, the environment, just the, the, the vibes were poor. (laughs) So I would stop class and I'd be like, Hey, this is happening. I think we need to talk it out. Like, what does this need to look like? And I think one example is like right now, springtime, we start to see students' behaviors get a little bit escalated. Um, So I could use that as an opportunity to talk about finishing the year strong and what it looked like for our classroom to do that. Yeah, and that reminds me of when when we decided we were going to do this episode, because I think I mentioned in that other episode we did where we were kind of going over that teacher's 25 ideas. It reminded me of this teacher TikTok I saw where a teacher was you know, joking about what they do after there's like a bad sub day. And she was like standing in front of the class and was like, well, 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 mm-hmm. you blew it. Exactly. Total failure. <laughs> Catastrophe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you need to have those conversations, obviously. But this is probably a more, <laughs> she was just joking, but like mm-hmm, this is a, a supportive, productive way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I did want to mention in my research, it looked like some teachers will schedule these so they might have them like once a week. And if there's an issue, they might like put it off for a day or so because it's like, well, we have our class meeting on Friday, we'll handle it on Friday. And then other teachers might do it on an as needed basis. It sounds like the as needed was kind of the way you handled it, Court, right? Yeah. yeah, that was the way I went to it. But I just I think the idea of doing it once a week or having it more scheduled would be just super beneficial. And if I was ever back in the classroom again, I would definitely do that because it was super helpful. So you said sometimes it was as needed, but sometimes it was scheduled. But could you share a bit about like how you started a class meeting? Like, would you present a problem to the group? And did you have to prep for that? Or did you review class rules? Or how did, how did that look? So I would start the conversation by letting them know that we were about to have a meeting. Um, and like I said, by my last year, the kids knew exactly what I meant by that because we did it a lot. Um, I would see the eye rolls and the, you know, that type of stuff. Because, <laughs> I mean, once we got into it, they liked the discussion, but like, you know, they just kind of dreaded it a little bit. But then... Also, you might need to adjust the environment. Like sometimes we would move our seats around. So we were in a circle. So we were all facing each other or like go. Sometimes we went outside even because it was nice and we just needed a change of space. Those types of things. I also was super spoiled my last two to three years. Maybe I had dimmable lights. My room was super fancy. So I would like turn the lights down just a little bit. So it was a little cozier. Um, but I was always set the stage with like what my expectations for how that conversation needed to go were. So like in regards to our classroom rules and respecting each other. So like if your PBIS expectations like included respect, make sure that there's a rule along the lines of speaking honestly, but like respectfully. And maybe it's phrases like use appropriate language and you just need to clarify that this case that means speaking honestly and respectfully. So that gets ahead of like what's probably a common concern for many teachers regarding these meetings is that it's going to lead to some conflict, like maybe a lot of conflict, and maybe students are going to gang up on each other. And as with a lot of things in classrooms, prevention is the best strategy here. So like giving those reminders before you start the meeting is a super good idea. That way, if the problem does happen, like a few students might start piling up on a particular one, you can refer back to that rule you talked about before the meeting and stop it. Yeah, we talked a lot about in our about that in our episode about preventive prompting or pre-correction about how like when you're really upfront with and clear with those expectations it's so easy to then jump in if there is an issue versus feeling like you're kind of like gotcha and like it's coming mm-hmm. more out of thin air it's like hey we, we just talked about we need to be respectful mm-hmm. 
So I think that's a really good way to start because I think that is probably a lot of people's concern is that like we're heading into this conversation and it could lead like what could go wrong yep. is the question of people's heads. And generally like when you are having these, they're probably going to be a little uncomfy, like just by design of why you would be having them in the first place, right? So being super explicit about that's important. Right. I do think though that like court, the fact that you had them uh, pro like you had them to discuss good things too um mm-hmm. like when things went well like you mentioned and you had them proactively like to talk about your rules at the beginning of the year like you framed it as one of these class meetings so it's not always happening mm-hmm. when it's bad Negative, stuff right. like that probably helps too for sure but you know yeah even with that they're they're probably going to dread it a little bit <laughs> but you know from my reading it sounded like a big part of this problem solving in a class meeting was was ideating or brainstorming. So I was wondering, Court, like, how would you keep track if you had students like share ideas about how to address an issue or solve a problem? How would you keep track of what they were sharing? Because I saw in an article that some teachers would use like chart paper or a smart board and they would be writing down ideas that came up. Is that something that you would do or did you kind of just handle it all verbally? So when I got my first classroom, my first year of teaching, I started out with just a chalkboard and nothing fancy. So I hated writing on the chalkboard. So I would just like bullet things on there. Like when we talked, because I just did not want to write anything, but I had no other like technology or anything besides my computer. And the worst thing to do when you're having one of these discussions is sit behind your computer. Right. So that was absolutely not happening. Um, so we would bullet list and then I would also have my class take some notes because we always did journaling. Like regardless of the class I taught, we had a journal. Even in my math class, we had journals. Um, and once I got a fancier setup with my smart board, um, I just would use that blank like smart board PowerPoint thing and just keep adding as we went and taking notes about what students were saying and crossing things out and pointing arrows and all the kinds of things. And I just really need to write things down because I forget a lot and I end up being super repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I think that's helpful when you're brainstorming because uh, students pr- would probably lose track of things too mm-hmm. and then end up repeating things a lot. And you might have another student saying like, we talked about right, exactly. that three minutes ago. Exactly yeah. right. But then everybody can see what's been written down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that probably makes things a little bit less repetitive. Um, next part, like, you know, it sounds like you know, you kind of presented like what we're talking about and why, and then you lead them to that ideating and brainstorming from what I'm following. Um, but at some point you have to start making decisions, right? Like deciding like, what are we going to do from here? So could you tell us a bit about how decisions are made during class meetings? Like I saw a few articles mention that they would have students literally just vote on what the best idea was. Um, But they also mentioned sometimes like the teacher would have veto power. So I'm just kind of curious about how that decision making could look. So I was super lucky, I guess. I never really encountered a situation where we needed to put it to a vote. Mostly during these times, um, the class was able to kind of come to consensus and agreement collectively. I think it was really helpful because I was working with like high school age students and the discussions were really like deep and really honest. So that was really nice. Um, and if there were ever a couple of kids who really felt strongly in a different direction or didn't like what the, the group was talking about, we usually could just keep talking it through and just really would get to a point where we felt comfortable. I I think probably there might have been a time or two where a kid maybe just shut down and stopped voicing their opposing opinion, you know, which I don't feel great about, but um, I didn't really have a I hadn't really thought through that, but I love the idea of having a vote. Um, I do think it's super important, though, to ultimately leave that up to the teacher. 
Yeah, and there's so many. I think this is why we brought this up, Court, because there's so many different ways to make these decisions mm-hmm. together as a group. And I never really thought about it until I started to work in adult teams, because I just don't remember it coming up in schools. It was like either basically we would vote on something or the teacher would just make a call and there was never really like an in-between but Mm -hmm. if it was like you know we're going to decide together there's always that chance that like the loudest voices the people who are going to talk the Mm -hmm. most are going to carry the day um and some people might shut down and like that's you know realistic and like you were saying like you just didn't feel and i wouldn't have either like had an idea of how to structure that to Mm -hmm. like prevent that from happening so we, we wanted to talk about this because we've, we've worked on this a lot in our adult meetings at Scred. And there's like a couple different structures that we've explored for this and started to use. We're by no means done with that work, mm-hmm. but this this is, you know, just relevant stuff. So anyway, there's uh, this thing called the decision making windows that we've been really interested in. So really simply like window one, it's like window one, window two, window three or window four. There's like different kinds of decisions that are being made. So like in this case with a class meeting, like a window one decision would be the teacher is going to decide and they don't really need any input. They're just going to decide. So it's like we're going to take a test on Friday. Like this, I don't really need any input. Like that's a window one. Window two would be teacher would get input from the class and then they would decide. Uh, window three would be the teacher and the class are deciding together, which is I think what a class meeting, what we want it to feel like for the most part. Would you say that, Court? Mm-hmm, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, like it's at the end of the day, like you can veto and like you're the decider, but like you want it to feel like it's a collective decision. Mm -hmm. And like a window four would be like delegation, like the class is going to decide and the teacher sits back and learns about it later. So that really doesn't apply to the class meeting Mm -hmm. so much. But we, we started to like do that in our adult meetings, like I said. So the facilitator of the meeting, and in this case, like the teacher of the class meeting would be really upfront. Like this is the kind of decision I'm making. And it just gives the rest of the group some comfort like we know how this is going to work um but we started to realize like in those like window two window threes when especially when we're making a collective decision and it's supposed to feel like the teacher and the class are deciding together like the loudest voices will carry the day and like how do you really are you really reading the room really well and it's like everybody's you know are you getting an idea of how much people agree with where you want to go with it or are you just hearing like one or two people who are really loud and upfront, or in this case, like one or two students. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a brilliant colleague of ours, Jody Henderson, she brought up this idea she got from another organization she worked in called a consensus ladder. And teachers know fist to five really well, right? Like you, with your hand, you can just do like a fist, which is a zero all the way up to five fingers. It's like a really easy way to scale things. So this sounds fancy, but a consensus ladder is like a fist to five with consensus. So you can ask the group, or the class, like, how much do you agree with this idea? And like zero or their fist would be like, I completely disagree with this, like totally not on board. Like, I really don't want to move in this direction. And a five, all five fingers up would be like, I'm all about this. I would champion this. This is my favorite thing. And then there's like all kind. there's, you know, one, two, three, four between there. Um, So like I was saying, like, if we're making a window three decision, it's supposed to feel really collective as a class meeting. That's just one thing you could do. Like, zero to five fingers like how much do you agree with this idea before we move forward and we will link uh those windows thing i mentioned and the an example of a consensus ladder into the show notes it would probably be too complicated i think ryan court for most elementary students to really jump into that like i think you might 
be more likely to do just simple voting with elementary yeah, students. I would say that. Yeah. But you might introduce one or both of those concepts for like middle or high school students. Um, but the point is, like, even in the workplace, we're still the three of us are still learning how to have teams function well. Mm -hmm. And that's part of adult SEL. And it's skills that we want our students to have as they're entering college or the workplace. So class meetings seem like a really great opportunity to embed that learning and start building that skill set and get students familiar with how they can structure those decision making processes with groups of people. So Court, how long did these meetings tend to take? Did you run into any issues like fitting it in in a high school setting? Because I don't know, most folks might be thinking like, hey, this works in an elementary school when you're all together for most of the day, but how do you see it fitting at the secondary? So I think that depends. Um, those start of the year meetings were the whole entire class period. And I know we've talked about this like a lot, but it is so worth it for the time it saved me explaining procedures and like all that stuff later. So I would dedicate a whole class period at the start of each term. I mean, if you're not switching students or whatever between terms, you could maybe shorten those up and like keep them simpler. But um, our advisory time was like 26 minutes long, I think. Um, and that was the perfect amount of time usually for those little random after assembly or big issue in the building conversations to happen. Um, but those random class meetings where like there was an issue of bullying or there was like some thing that I thought needed to be addressed, like just morale or whatever, um, that time varied. But I always figured if it warranted me having a class meeting, it, war it warranted a whole period of class discussion if it was needed. So um, I just think it depends on on what what you value. And I really valued having a community in my classroom and having those family meetings. And I think at one point we started just calling them family meetings because we just were a family. <laughs> <laughs> and so like we just, everybody, that was like my big, my big thing. I just wanted all of my, my students to feel valued and important. And I wanted them to know that whatever was going on was worth, was worth talking through. So. I love that. Okay, so I think this might be the million dollar question for all of our listeners out here. So did you run into any pitfalls like after and figured out like, man, I really wish somebody would have told me that before I started. So like anything that anything that like might have frustrated a teacher who's trying out this out for the first time, or just in general, maybe any advice you want to share? Yeah, so trying to make it have structure or like plan out how you're going to start that conversation, I think is super important. So not just jumping into it and deciding in, on the spot in the moment that you want to talk to your class about a big deal, like you kind of have to be intentional about it. Giving yourself talking points, I think, would super helpful. Um, but also you want to make sure that your students are doing most of the talking or ideating around whatever concern you're addressing and you're just doing the guiding I think when I first started doing them, they were probably like more toward the lecture side, which I don't love. But until I got comfortable, like opening it up to them and, and just guiding those conversations, I needed to model what it would look like, you know, like show them what it was like when I was thinking and how I ideated and how I got to solutions for problems um, and just really talk about what my brain was doing in that moment. And then making sure that I allowed for silence, too, and just acknowledging that sometimes problems are hard to solve and they take time. Uh, I also think something that can be tricky is like ending them when you haven't solved the problem and just being comfortable saying, hey, we're going to need to come back to this after a couple of days because um, sometimes we as teachers and our students um, just need a little bit of extra time. I know a couple of times I even gave like homework that was like 
hey, think about some things that we could do to solve this problem. We'll come back to it and we're going to have another discussion on Friday or whatever. Or we talked on a Friday and we'll come back and figure it out on Monday. So just being comfortable with space. Thank you so much, Court. I think, you know, I really appreciated hearing that, especially like that was a question I hadn't even thought of. Like, what if you don't arrive at a solution at the end? So it's really great to to hear that. We're going to wrap it up and, and talk takeaways. We talked about how this is kind of like a family meeting, like when you would think to pull together a family meeting. There's a lot of different reasons why you might do that, but a pretty common one is to address kind of the elephant in the room or problem solve, just help each other function well. And if there's an issue that we need to address, then we we do it in this format. Another thing I heard you mention, Courtney, is that it's good to prime them with what you're expecting. So if you've got rules for the class that apply, which they are going to around how they should treat each other, be really upfront with that and give them that reminder before you start, because it'll make it easier to like step in and um, nudge them back if we observe any issues with how they're talking to each other. Yeah, It's helpful to when you're ideating or brainstorming, like put that in their field of view so that they can see what ideas have already been presented. And then there's different ways of arriving at consensus about how you're going to move forward and, and what solution you're going to carry out. We talked about voting. We talked about just kind of naturally arriving at a consensus um, and just kind of reading the room. And then we talked about a couple other different ways where you can modify that to kind of make sure that you don't have your quieter students shut down and just have the louder students kind of carry it. Love doing this episode, Cord. I think this is just such a valuable thing. And you mentioned how important it was to maintaining your relationships in the community and your classroom and how much that time that saves you rather than leaving these things unaddressed. But I think this is a thing that a lot of teachers are probably really interested in doing, but it's just that intimidation piece of like doing it for the first time. Um, so I like the suggestions you had about like doing it at the beginning of the year when you're talking about your rules or maybe just doing it after like assemblies or sub days to just have like some go to times when I might try this. Mm-hmm. And I also I don't want to forget to mention that your mentor teacher's idea of kind of taking a problem that she's seeing in the classroom and then making it framing it as her own issue so that it's easier and less intimidating for the students to talk about it because I I think that's probably my favorite nugget from today Mm -hmm. because it just seems like such an easy access point to kind of start doing this with students. For sure. I feel like you need to shout out that teacher that made such an impact. I can shout her out. Her name is Linda Druby and she is an amazing person and just like one of my favorite and just an amazing human. I just love her. (laughs) Well, thank you, Courtney. And thank you, Linda, for our favorite nugget of the day. I could talk about her for hours. (laughs) Well, thank you for spending time with us today, listeners. And Courtney, thank you for sharing your expertise. Make sure to subscribe. And if you're on YouTube, click the bell so that you're notified when new episodes are released each week. We'll see you when you come back for another slice of SEL. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.